Good morning and welcome to Church at Home. My name is Simon Clegg. I'm the pastor of St Barnabas Bible Church here in Cape Town, South Africa. Now, uh, this week the <coughs> President called for today to be observed as a national day of prayer, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, it's also an indication, I think, that as COVID-19 spreads through the country, that uh, many people are turning to God for, for healing, for hope and for comfort. And um, some of them, I think, are doing this for the first time in their lives. And uh, if that is you, I do trust that our talk this morning will be uh, a blessing and an encouragement to you, because we're currently in a series in the Gospel of Mark, which is in many ways an introduction to the Christian message. And uh, if our talk leaves you with questions and you'd like help with that, we'd be delighted to assist. Can I encourage you to visit our newly relaunched website, www.sbbc.org.za and uh, on the home page you'll find there's a tab uh, where you can leave your contact information and we'll be delighted to get back to you in the course of the week. So as we begin, can I invite you to open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 2, and I'll be reading from verse 13. <clears throat> Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, reading from verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Uh, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, just so far, and uh, let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at his word together. God says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Heavenly Father, it is no small matter to have your word in our hands this morning. Please help us not to read it casually or carelessly or complacently, but rather to study it humbly, reverently and obediently. For Christ's sake. Amen. Now, Tony Campolo is an American pastor who's worked extensively with the poor and the underprivileged. And uh, on one occasion, he was uh, flying into Honolulu. Um, there was a big time difference. He couldn't sleep. And so he went out to an all-night diner where he happened to overhear a group of prostitutes talking together. One of them said to her friends that the next day was going to be her 39th birthday. And uh, one of them responded to that in a rather mocking way by saying, well, what do you want, a birthday party? And the first prostitute replied, I've never had one my entire life. Why should I expect one now? Uh, on hearing that, Tony Campolo decided it would be a good idea to work with the owner of the diner to throw a surprise party for her the next day. 
So a cake was baked, a meal was prepared, and uh, the cries of happy birthday from her friends and this stranger, Tony Campolo, left the prostitute completely stunned. She was shocked that anybody would go to that kind of trouble for her. And at the end of the evening, she asked if she could take the cake home with her, and she got up to leave. As she did so, Tony Campolo offered to pray with her, and he prayed for her salvation, uh, for God to bless her, be good to her, and for her life to change. Uh, The press startled the owner of the cafe, who became rather agitated and angry, and he said, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And he replied by saying that he belonged to a church that threw birthday parties for prostitutes at half past three in the morning. Now that's a true story, and it's the exact atmosphere we find in our passage today. In fact, verse 14 takes us to the hot spot in the message of Christianity. Because Jesus there calls a man who shouldn't be in the team of disciples at all. Uh, we discover that he has two names, Levi and Matthew. And he goes on to become the man who wrote the first gospel in the New Testament. There's plenty of treasure in these verses, which which, uh, I'm going to divide into two simple points for us this morning. First, we're going to think about the people Jesus chooses. And second, the people Jesus changes. The people he chooses, the people he changes. So first of all, the people Jesus chooses. Uh, look, Look with me again, please, at verse 14. Jesus saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. I think those of us who are Christians get rather sleepy as we read these verses because they almost wash over us because they're so familiar. But just think about what's happening here. Because the more, the more that you think about it, uh, the more amazing it is. Perhaps the closest we can get to the shock of it is to say that choosing Levi to join the disciples would be rather like asking one of the Gupta brothers to be a leader in the church today. The public would be deeply suspicious. And we need to realise that Levi is the sort of person that most people would look at and be extremely wary of. Uh, He was a Jewish tax official, he worked for Herod, who ruled on behalf of the Romans. And uh, he wasn't collecting income tax or land tax or anything like that. He collected tax on what people carried. So what he would do is set up his desk and stop people as they were moving from one place to another, rather like a customs official might do today. Uh, The system allowed him to charge whatever he wanted and no one could question him because he had the power of Rome behind him. So everyone hated tax collectors. And when a Jew became a tax collector he was immediately excluded from the synagogue and often excluded from his family as well. They were viewed as traitors and thieves. Now, two weeks ago, we read about a leper who was excluded from the community of God's people because of sickness. He had no choice in the matter. But if the leper was an unwilling exile, 
Levi was a willing exile. He said, yep, I'll pay the price, I'll leave the community, I'm happy to be outside the people of God. So what on earth is Jesus doing choosing a man like this? Surely there were other respectable fishermen he might have chosen instead. But you see, this is the Gospel. Jesus doesn't pick good people. He doesn't go around collecting fine, upstanding people. Uh, You'll know plenty of people, I'm sure, who think that Christianity is uh, a bunch of people trying to be good enough for God. But I do hope you know that as we meet as a church to thank God for choosing people like like us, we know that we are not worthy. And uh, if you think the preacher's job on Sunday is to get you to lift your game so that one day God will pick you for the ultimate team in heaven, can I remind you that Jesus chooses people like Levi, outsiders, people with nothing to recommend them to God. So chapter 2 verse 14 I think is the clearest possible reminder that Jesus chooses people who don't qualify and the Bible says that every single person in the world is by nature a non-qualifier for God's kingdom in the letter to the Romans the Apostle Paul says it this way all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in other words we've all disqualified ourselves we've all chosen a course in life like Levi that excludes us from the people of God and therefore we need someone who can bring us into the kingdom of God because we can't do it for ourselves and the only reason that anybody gets into the kingdom of God is because of God's mercy and not our merit now some years ago we were running lunchtime Bible studies for businessmen and a man started coming along who'd been convicted of a serious crime and and sent to prison. But he had been converted and he was serious about growing in his faith. However, there were some businessmen there uh, who knew about this man's background and were extremely upset about it. Uh, They felt this man should never have been allowed into a Christian meeting. And uh, I had to explain as gently as I could that in the eyes of God this man had just as much right to be there as they did because the only basis upon which God accepts any of us is because of his mercy and not our merit so why do we rejoice when we read that Jesus chooses Levi well think about it what would it be like if Jesus only chooses perfect people we'd all be disqualified. What hope would we have if we exclude ourselves from the people of God? No, the only hope we have is if there is someone with the authority to include people who don't deserve to be there. Now, if you think Levi is an exception, will you look with me at verse 15? Because in verse 15, Jesus goes to dinner at Levi's house and joins a house party full of tax collectors and sinners and although the party is at Levi's house in the original language it's very clear that Jesus is at the head of the table he is the host 
It's very interesting because what we have here is exactly what the Old Testament said would happen. That when the Messiah came into the world, he would draw people together from every conceivable background and bring them together in a tremendous banquet. So this incident in Mark chapter 2 is a preview of what Jesus has already started to do in the church today and will one day do finally and completely in heaven. Now, as I read this carefully, I think to myself that, first of all, it's a bit of a shock that Jesus chooses Levi because he's just not obvious Christian leadership material. But it's also a shock that Jesus likes the company of a whole house party full of these people. And because there is still something of the Pharisee in me, uh, my reaction is to say, well, how on earth does he mix with these people? Uh, Does he enjoy their language? Does he like their conversation? Does he share their priorities? And I also find myself asking, how is it that these tax collectors and sinners like Jesus? I mean, he's the holiest man the world has ever known. How do these people feel in his company? Now this is interesting, I think, because it's an area where we've all got much to learn. And we may never fully understand how Jesus was such an expert at mixing with the world. But I think it does teach us, doesn't it, that holiness at its best, that real holiness, not fake holiness, that real holiness is not unattractive and it's not annoying. It's actually very attractive and it's very compelling. Because in verse 15, though we may never be able to explain it, Jesus is able to mix constructively with sinful people. Now I think that when it comes to dealing with outsiders, most of us tend to polarise our behaviour. We either blend in so that feathers don't get ruffled, or we're confrontational and awkward, so things just get difficult. But here you see is Jesus mixing constructively with sinners. Uh, He obviously loves them, and they feel the love that he has for them. But he never compromises God's standards. Well, of course not, because he's the Son of God. Now, in verse 16, we read that Pharisees were there. Uh, And the word Pharisee is an interesting word. It comes from the Hebrew word uh, meaning to separate. Uh, So these were, if you like, religious separatists. Now, of course, there is a kind of separation that is good. Uh, For example, separation from sin and evil. But there's also an unhelpful separation where you separate yourself from the world and you become so superior and so different that you're no use to anybody. Now these Pharisees, you see, practised that negative kind of separation. They looked down on everyone else. They, They kind of built a gulf between themselves and the world. So see what they say in verse 16. Looking critically at what Jesus is doing, they say, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And the reason, of course, is that Jesus is not a separatist. He's a joiner. He spontaneously loves people. He builds bridges into their lives. So notice in verse 15, 
that many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him now I wish we could give a lot more time to thinking about this today to thinking about the issue of how the light of the world mixes with the darkness and how we who are called to be light in the world can mix constructively with unbelief and darkness but let me just say this I guess most of you listening or watching have normal lives and uh, you need to pray for those of us who are pastors who have weird lives because we spend nearly all of our time mixing with believers believers, believers, believers but you have normal lives and you go to work with normal people and friends you need God's help on a daily basis to somehow mix with normal people who don't know Christ and wonderfully accept them but without approving of everything they think, say and do and if you can get that right and of course Jesus does get it right and he can help us do it better if you can get that right it's a wonderful contribution uh, some of you will have come across this issue in the testimony of a lady called Rosaria Butterfield uh, Rosaria Butterfield was a professor of English at New York University uh, she was also an outspoken leader in the lesbian movement in New York and uh, for various reasons at one point she began to correspond with a pastor uh, that is a conservative Bible believing pastor and in the course of their correspondence he said to her I accept you 100% and I will always accept you 100% but I don't approve of everything that you think and say and do in certain areas of your life now the important thing is that Rosaria Butterfield says that she felt his acceptance and at the same time acknowledged his non-approval and in due course she was wonderfully converted to Christ and today she has a significant ministry to college students in North Carolina now the point is that in our dealings with outsiders that tension is absolutely necessary uh, the tension between 100% acceptance on the one hand and non-approval of ungodliness on the other and of course you and I need God's help to get that right because if you're going to spend lots of time with people at work or at university who have very different views of life and faith and morality well you need to know that by the grace of God it is possible to grow in both acceptance and non-approval of their position which Jesus models so brilliantly for us in our passage but only he can help us do it so we need to pray Lord help me to love these people I don't want to be a Pharisee and equally I don't want to blend in and have no effect whatsoever and I think at the very least that means we need to do some disciplined reading and thinking so that we understand the Christian position on the lifestyle and the priorities of the people around us and of course we need to be asking uh, how am I going to speak about these things in a way that is both clear and of course loving so don't fall into the Pharisee trap where you reject people because of their words 
and deeds which aren't acceptable to you and uh, don't fall into the opposite trap of saying, well, nothing really matters, I'm just going to blend in because neither of those positions is loving. But Jesus here, you see, sets a very wonderful pattern in the people he chooses. So let's move on and secondly and think about the people Jesus changes. And look with me again please at verse 14 uh, where we do find I think something truly astonishing. As I said earlier most of the time we, we read this rather carelessly and we miss the significance of what's actually happening. Because in verse 14 Jesus says to Levi the businessman leave your business and follow me. Now, what does your Bible say happen next? Uh, does Levi say, well, look, I'm very sorry, but this is an incredibly profitable business and uh, I need a few months to put a succession plan in place and sort out an exit pa package? Well, it doesn't say that. Uh, the text says, Levi got up and followed him. Now, that I think is astonishing. Uh, some of you will remember Richard Borgonen uh, visiting us here a couple of years ago. Richard lives in London and he goes around asking CEOs and managing directors of large corporates if they'd like to read the Bible with him. These men are non-Christians, but very wonderfully God has opened the door for Richard to meet with them most days through the week and read the Bible. Today some of them are converted but many of them are still unconverted, even though Richard's been reading the Bible with them for months or even years. Now you see, who is going to get a businessman like Levi to surrender his profitable business to Jesus Christ? Who could do that? Uh, humanly speaking, it's impossible. I couldn't do it, you couldn't do it. I would love to see it happen more than it does. It does happen occasionally, but not often. The fact is that the world is full of businessmen where business is in the driving seat of their lives and a kind of domesticated Christianity is in the passenger seat. Now who can get a person to do what Levi does here? Well, only Jesus Christ. Again, please notice that when Jesus speaks to Levi in 2.14 that it's not just talk. It's not just hot air. Uh, Jesus speaks to Levi and makes him into a brand new person. So think about it. Just as God spoke into the void in Genesis chapter 1 and made a brand new universe, Jesus speaks into the void of Levi's head and heart and makes a brand new person. And that's what gets Levi on his feet. It's not that Jesus says to Levi, uh, are you up for a challenge today? Rather, Jesus says, follow me, and the command transforms him. You see, when Jesus met Levi, Levi was quite incapable of rising to the challenge of following Jesus. Because in order to follow Jesus, he needed a new heart, a new soul, and a new life. And that when Jesus speaks to Levi and says, follow me, he's changing him so that Levi can actually do what Jesus commands. In other words, he converts him. 
Now when conversion takes place in a person's life, they immediately see Jesus Christ as Lord. Uh, It's as if they suddenly discover a massive gold nugget in their back garden. And from that moment on, everything changes because, because not even the house is worth as much as the gold nugget. And that's how it is, you see, when people see Christ in his greatness and goodness. They say, wow, that's it! And everything else must come second. Now, when Levi uh, gets up and begins to follow Jesus, is it because Levi's a brilliant listener? No, it isn't. It's because Jesus is a brilliant caller. See, it's very easy, isn't it, to fall into the trap of thinking, well, very few people are listening to Jesus today. Uh, Perhaps he's off his game. He must be greatly discouraged. That would be a huge mistake. Because whenever Jesus speaks to someone, he does it with all the power of God, and they respond. And the people who respond begin to follow. And the reason is, you see, now listen to this, is that his call, the call of Jesus, is not a natural call. Uh, It's not like a parent calling their child in from the garden. Because every parent knows that when you call your child to come in from the garden, they might come, or they might not. But the call of Jesus is supernatural. And the call of Jesus is not external. When I speak to you this morning, it's external. Uh, It's going out on sound waves from my mouth into your ears. Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But it's external. Uh, I can make it loud, I can make it soft, but it's just external. But the call of Jesus, you see, is internal, and it converts people. And can I also say that the call of Jesus is not religious, It's not Jesus saying, follow me and I've got some rules for you. The call of Jesus is power. Because when Jesus calls, he's saying, follow me because I've got a life for you, a new life. For example, think of how Jesus called the Apostle Paul. Paul was utterly against Jesus and everything he stood for. But Jesus calls him and immediately Paul is utterly for Jesus. Jesus has turned his heart from stone to flesh. Now that is the power of God, that is the work of Jesus, and that's what's happening to Levi here. So Jesus sees Levi, he gives him new life, a new supernatural life, and of course this is extremely costly. Uh, This new life doesn't come freely. It comes at the cost of Jesus' death. But you see, this is what changes Levi. And without the transformation worked by Jesus in a person, we remain stuck in our idolatry. So friends, I do need to ask you this morning, has this call come and changed you? I'm not asking whether you've heard the call to come to church occasionally or even regularly. I'm asking whether you've heard the call of Christ to follow him, to believe in him, to belong to him and to behave for him. Have you heard his transforming call? Because if you have heard his call, 
you will be following and you won't just be following him on Sunday between half past nine and quarter to eleven you'll be following him from Sunday to Sunday you'll be following him every day all through the week and you won't need to be prodded or nudged by somebody else because you've been transformed you've got a life inside you that is never going to stop now if you don't think that this transformation has taken place and that you're still in the dark then we would love to help you with that and as I said at the beginning please do leave your contact details with us on the contact page on on our website but now as we leave the passage come with me to our last verse this morning verse 17 which is a spectacular verse Uh, Jesus has heard the criticism of the Pharisees in verse 16 Uh, remember they were saying why is Jesus eating with these awful people Uh, if he really is the Messiah he wouldn't be doing it and Jesus says uh, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners now this is a very beautiful verse and I want to spend our last few moments making sure we get it because what Jesus is saying is that there are two kinds of sickness there is physical sickness and there is spiritual sickness and quite obviously here Jesus is talking about the latter nobody in the world is spiritually well I wonder if you knew that everybody in the world by nature is spiritually sick and just as there are two kinds of sickness so there are two kinds of people there are those people who are not well and know it they're prepared to say yes I'm a sinner and then there are those people who are not well but insist that they are well and want to call themselves righteous now for the first group those who are not well who know they're not well but who are prepared to say I'm a sinner the Lord Jesus has tremendous news but for the person who is not well but pretends that they are well and says I'm righteous Jesus has nothing to say now of course he can transform and that's why we're so thankful and this is one of the remarkable things you see about verse 17 because Jesus does not say uh, well I'm a spiritual doctor and I wait at home for people to wake up to themselves and call me and then I'll come and save them no what Jesus is saying is I call sick people if you like I do house calls I do street visits I go out for the people who are not well so you see he's not sitting at home waiting for people to call him of course if anybody does do that uh, in repentance and in faith you will be saved but what's happening here is that Jesus is telling us a very precious truth which is that he goes after sick people just as he went out for Levi that I think is a wonderful comfort some of you will know people in your family or circle of friends and uh, you sometimes think in despair they just haven't got it Uh, they don't understand I wonder if they will ever understand but what we're learning this morning is that Jesus can take the initiative and call them and transform them and we need to pray that the Lord will do that 
Of course, if we get an opportunity, we're always going to try to persuade them. But however it happens, it always starts with the genius of Jesus, uh, the initiative of Jesus, and his sovereignty over the hearts of all men and women. So, there are no spiritually well people. You're not going to meet any spiritually well people this week who are outside of Christ. All people are spiritually sick or dead. Now, the world hates this, uh, which is why the German philosopher Nietzsche hated Christianity. Uh, He said the church exists to make people sick so that it can grow its business of religion. Friends, that is sheer nonsense. We are not in the business of making people spiritually sick. Obviously, we want people to be aware that they are sick. And I mean, it's so obvious, isn't it? I mean, you've only got to read the newspapers or listen to the news on television. And so what we want to do is say to people, there is a great, great need in each one of us. And there is also great news. And the great news is Jesus Christ. Go to him. So the person who goes around thinking, well, I'm okay, really, is actually cut off from Christ. But the person who knows that they're not all right and looks for mercy will find it and will find new life. So, behind this awareness that we desperately need a saviour is this wonderful initiative of Jesus coming and calling us. And I hope this morning that you're as grateful as I am for the call of Christ. I, I hope it's deeply comforting to be reminded that you've been changed by this wonderful call and I hope also that you've been challenged by the fact that the one who is called puts everything in their lives under Christ just as Levi did and begins to follow and uh, having started to follow they go on following so when the temptation comes along to turn down the road of adultery Uh, they say, no, I must follow Christ. Or when the temptation comes to be dishonest, they say, no, I must follow Christ. Or when the temptation comes to watch pornography, they say, no, I must follow Christ. Now, friends, that is the challenge. It's a great challenge. Because if you've not heard the call that leads to that kind of following, the question is, Did you actually hear the call at all? Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for this very wonderful incident in the ministry of Jesus where we see Jesus fixing his love on someone who's completely unworthy and bringing him right into the very centre of his purposes. Many of us are so thankful you've done it for us that you've brought us from outside to inside through your mercy. And we ask that as we think of this challenge of living in the world as your representatives that you would help us to do it well, not separating ourselves and not blending in. We also ask that you would help us in the great privilege of following Christ to turn away from what is disobedient and to pursue what is faithful, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.